Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 278. We're literally in the last week before the new year of Rosh Hashanah, Tavshin Pei. Tavshin Pei, 5,780. And uh, as we wind down this last week, which is of course the preparation for the new year, we're all hoping and praying and confident that we will each and every one of us be blessed with a healthy year with abundance, materially and spiritually, in body and children, in life and health, in livelihood, and all in a, an abundant and expansive way. So we do the last preparations, as it is with any important event or important day in our lives. You don't just enter. The better you prepare, the better you enter. And we know according to Kabbalah and Hasidus, as the sun will set next Sunday evening, yes, next Sunday night, exactly around this time, the entire universe goes into a slumber, into a sleep, a comatose state, eagerly anticipating and waiting the renewal of its contract, which is what happens in Rosh Hashanah. So it isn't just a new year on the calendar, it's actually a new cycle. Essentially, the contract of last year expires, and a completely new and unprecedented energy, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya Neger Sekedish in the 14th section, a completely unprecedented energy that never existed and never will exist enters into the scene. Now you'll say, well, how come I don't always feel it? Well, it all depends on where you stand. Because for us to be conscious of it and experience it, we have to be, have a keli, a container, some way, be ready to receive it like it is with any gift. Someone gives you a gift and you don't have your hands out, or you don't have a basket, or you don't have a, a pockets. You'll obviously not be able, to main, be able to draw it down and sustain it. But the energy will come. And that's what's so unique about every Rosh Hashanah, and especially when it concludes a decade. In the sense, Tavshin Pei, the year Pei, 80, so every conclusion of a 10-year period also has its particular power. As we know in Jewish thought, the number 10 is very significant. We find it in so many different places, the 10 utterances that God used to create the world, the 10 commandments, which is the basis of the entire Torah, the 10 spheres, and many other forms of 10 that are considered the misper hashalom, the complete number. In the case of Chassidus Applied, it has special significance to us because it's also 70 years, the beginning of 70 years of the Rebbe's leadership after the passing of the Friedrich Rebbe in Tovshin Yud, which was also at the end of a decade. Indeed, 30 years before that, Tovresh Pei, would be 100 years from this coming year, is when the Friedrich Rebbe assumed leadership after the passing of his father, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe. So you have many significant dates that become centennial or 70 years. It's also, as we shall soon describe, discuss 230 years from the birthday of the Tzemach Tzedek, which was Tov Kuf Memtes, 1789. So here, 2019, going into the next year, 230th year, uh, birthday. And many other significant dates that happen at the end of this 10-year cycle. So there's much, much to be spoken about. We will speak about it, through, obviously, please God, throughout the year. But here we'll be focusing a special Rosh Hashanah edition on the Rosh Hashanah of this year, Tov Shin Pei, specifically. This program is dedicated 
by Aurelia Zander to my beloved husband, Arik Zander, for honoring the Holy Torah the way he does. So let's go right into Rosh Hashanah. We have spoken about this in previous years, but uh, there's no academy without something new to be said. When I say new, it's not new entirely. Obviously, it's based on the teachings of Torah, of Chassidus, of the Rabbeim, which is the focus of this particular program, as the name directly states, the mission, my life, Chassidus applied, applying Chassidus to our personal, emotional, psychological lives. So what does Rosh Hashanah have to tell us? Number one, it has to tell us that there's always a chance for renewal. Many people get trapped in the feeling of resignation, of fatalism, hopelessness, despair. So Rosh Hashanah tells you there's a new year coming. A new year is not just a new date, as I said on the calendar. It's new energy, new opportunities, new possibilities, and ones that are unprecedented. So it's the first message, without even going further than that. The new year corresponds always with a new month of Tishrei. So as the moon wanes and ultimately disappears, just like the new year, the old year disappears and the, new, and the curtain comes down on it and the new year emerges like the new moon. So the verse says in Tehillim, it says, you shall sound the trumpet, the shefer, when it's concealed. Why? Because the moon is concealed. As a, in contrast to Sukkot, 15 days later, when the moon is full. So it's a lesson to all of us that no matter where we are in our lives, even if it's concealed, even if we don't feel the light, even if we feel, as I said, resigned, or other negative feelings, Rosh Hashanah tells us there's a completely new year now ahead of us. And that's why it's called Reish Hashanah. Reish is, a, is the head, not just the beginning of a year. What is the head of a body? It's not just the top of the body. It's also the central nervous system. It's the control center of everything. So Rosh Hashanah is also the control center and the central nervous system of all the days of the year. So whatever will happen the next year of Tavshin Pei 5780 is determined and can be controlled from Rosh Hashanah. So it's not just another day with a new energy. It's a new energy that will be unpacked and unfolded throughout the year. All telling us that the more we prepare and the more we enter into this awesome day, the more we'll be able to benefit and glean this energy into whatever it is that we need in our lives, whether it's material success, whether it's spiritual success, whether it's family-related, whether it's personal-related, whatever area you apply yourself to, that's what Rosh Hashanah does. Obviously, in the amount of investment will be the return. So the day has its power that will give us energy no matter what. But the more you prepare, the more you are conducive, the more you are aligned with that energy, the more you draw it into your life, the more you can benefit from it. So on a practical level, you have to, we have to erase the negative feelings. Because if you come into a new year, you come into a new home, but you still have the feelings of your old home with all its negative baggage, what do you think is going to happen? You'll bring that negative attitude into the new year as well. So the first thing is we have to clean our mind, clear our minds and our hearts and our souls, and our spirits, as much as possible, and say, I'm ready for this newness. That's the media, of Rosh Hashanah, the newness and the new energy of Rosh Hashanah. And we do so through, of course, tshuva. Tshuva means returning to whom? To who you really are. Who you really are is not a resigned human being. It's not someone that's been soiled or damaged or hurt or wounded. It's the soul, a pure soul. 
and you're renewing that connection with the divine king, God, as a sovereign authority. You submit to that, to something greater than yourself, greater than your ego, greater than anyone else. And that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. And we blow Shefer. Because the Shefer is the call of the soul, the cry of the soul, with all its different variations. We've spoken about that in previous years. The cry of the soul. It's the purest sound instrument. Just a pure Shefer. From the narrowness, I cry to you, from my narrow, dire strait, as the narrowness of the, beginning, of the mouthpiece of the shofar. And you respond to me with your breitness, with your breitkeit and expansiveness, like the, the, the place where the sound comes out of the shofar. Narrow at the tip, that goes into the mouth, and wide at the end. That signifies also in life, that when you cry out from a narrow place where you feel pressured, where you feel constrained, you actually reach, pierce the heavens, and you're able to draw down expansive blessings. And that's what happens. Those of us that remember the Rebbe blowing Shefer was not just another blowing Shefer. Beloved is the nation that knows the sound. It should say that sounds the sound, that blasts the sound, that blows the sound. Because knowing the sound is the sound has a secret. And those that know it, they have the capacity to draw it down. Which leads me into the story with the Tzemach Tzedek since it's his birthday, the 230th birthday, Erev Rosh Hashanah, interestingly corresponding to the birth of the world. al say says said the beginning of Tanya as a maimer, in that in honor of his birthday. Tov Kuf Memtes. And what does the, the Tanya begin with? Mashbir Neisei. That the child, as it, as it comes, it's in the mother's womb and it's ready to come into this world and ready to be born, it's given an oath or given empowered to be a tzaddik and not to be the opposite. So there's a story with the, Baal, with the Ritzimach Tzaddik, who was Rosh Hashanah, and the Maharil, who was the, Shem, was the sorry, the Tzimach Tzaddik's uncle. He was the brother of the Alter Rebbe, great uncle, you could say. And he was not well that year, Rosh Hashanah, he was a really elderly man. And um, so they offered to bring a minion to blow shofar from Rosh Hashanah. He said, no. He wants to be taken to the shul. He wants to hear it from the Tzemach Tzedek. They said, why? Why do you have, why do we need to, why do you have to schlep? It's difficult for you. He says, because it says, Ashrei ha'om yeide not teike suruah. A nation that's beloved that is not blowers of a trumpet. They're not trumpet blowers. They're not sound emitters. But they are yeide, they know the secret. And that's, we need someone who knows the secret of the shefer. So of course the Tzemach Tzedek was on that level. That's why the biggest year is Shemayim, the Tzaddik, the Rebbe blows the shefer. So when those, we heard the Rebbe blow shefer, you could see the struggle. Same shefer that afterwards, those that sounded that afterwards went easily, for the Rebbe was a struggle. Piercing heavens, piercing blocks and impediments, and anything, any gzeda, any decrees that don't allow those blessings to come forth. So that's what Rosh Hashanah is about, and that's how we prepare to introduce that new energy into our lives. Okay. In previous years, I've spoken about Rosh Hashanah, so I'll just give you some cross-referencing. In episodes 35, 83, 133, 180, 228, basically every 50 weeks, because every year in the supply, we spoke about this. All these archives of previous episodes can be found at Meaningful Life, I'm sorry, at chassidahsupply.com, where we've created an entire website dedicated to this program and related Hasidic resources, applying it all to our personal lives. 
Okay. We're also going in this week is the test to Chofei El. Chofei El Nivra Elam. The Chofei on the 25th day of El, the world was created. And we say Rosh Hashanah Zayim Tchilas Masachet is the beginning of your creation. So the Ran and the commentaries explain, Achsidus cites it, that the actual creation was the day one of creation was the 25th of El. Rosh Hashanah is celebrated because the crown jewel of creation, the purpose of creation was realized on the sixth day. So the 25th of El, six days later, is Rosh Hashanah. The 25th El is actual creation of the world. And also Pasha Netzavim, so it says, Atem Netzavim Hayyem Kulchem. The Hayyem refers to Rosh Hashanah. You stand before you stand, you stand before all of you, all the ten categories, from the leaders to the water carriers and the wood choppers, all standing together when on Rosh Hashanah and at Tzavim Nitzav Melech, you stand with a pride, upright, united, which is the key to the whole process of Rosh Hashanah. So it's all connected to this whole week, leads right into Rosh Hashanah, starting from the creation of Chafael. We're going to speak more about the creation of the world, the Chassidus question, later in the program, about the, the two opinions, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Lozer, regarding when the world was created, the 25th of Elul or the 25th of Nisan. We'll speak about that a little later. So, the, of course, therefore, it all leads into the same message, that as the world is created, a new world is created, with a purpose of leading to the sixth day when Adam and Chav of Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, which is Rosh Hashanah, because that's the day when Adam and Eve, Adam and Chav, took the whole entire creation gathered everything together and said, let us now acknowledge and accept our sovereign, the God that created us all, which is Rosh Hashanah, the quintessence of Rosh Hashanah, recognizing the force of the divine within us, the Kehapel Benifel, the Yodakal Paul Ke'ata Pa'alta, every creation, every, every um, product would know the, that you produced it. Every creation, every shape, every, every defined entity knows who had shaped it, which is what we say in the prayers in the Tfilis of Rosh Hashanah. So we talked about Chavtas Elul, which is Rosh Hashanah. Next Sunday is the birthday of the Samach Tzedek. And I think uh, we covered, I just will give some more cross-referencing because I talked about these topics. The Chavtas 25th of El, and the Tzavim. And yesterday was also Shabbos Slichus, which also, of course, the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah every year is a little different when we begin saying Slichus, but Metzoy Shabbos, middle of the night, we begin the slichas, preparation into Rosh Hashanah. So we spoke about that in episodes 179 and 228. And about the Tzamech Tzedek's birthday, I discussed in episode 180, where I spoke more about the Tzamech Tzedek in more detail. As I said, all that's accessible in the archives. And a good opportunity now, before we continue, that there you'll also find a forum where you can submit any question. Nothing is off limits. Everything will be addressed. Just some need to be wait their turn because other questions are, have come earlier or are more timely. But please don't hesitate to use that opportunity. And frankly, this, this whole program feeds off your questions and your comments and your feedback and your critique as well. So since we're speaking about Rosh Hashanah, there's a few questions I want to address that are connected. And here's the first question. Since a person's amount of income is determined on Rosh Hashanah, and that's a Gemara in Beitzah that says it clearly, that everything that Mizeh uh, which is the food, the sustenance of a person, is determined on Rosh Hashanah, from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So the question is, does it make any difference how many hours we invest in work? For that matter, how much energy we invest in work? 
and more detailed, the questioner writes, is it, it is often said that Hashem decides in Rosh Hashanah how much a person will make a year. So because of this, people say that it doesn't make a difference how many hours you work. I believe I once heard you mention this, and you possibly mentioned another outlook, something that gave me an aha moment, but I can't find it. I would be happy to know. So yes, indeed, in episode 85, I discussed it at length from all the first Apinigla, where I really didn't go over the, the Nigla Dika reasons. Nigla is the Talmudic reasons. But I went straight to the Primis Atera from Chassidus, starting from the Alter Rebbe, going through all the Rabbeim who speak about it, especially in Kuntra Samayan of the Rebbe Rashab. So I'm not going to repeat it all because there I discussed it in detail, but I will give the a snapshot. So it's in episode 85. And I should mention all these episodes are timestamped. So if you go into the YouTube version, you can actually go on, 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 on a desktop or laptop, you can actually go straight to the section of the program where I discuss the topic. Briefly, there's a, there's a seemingly a contradiction. In some places it says that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is that determines the livelihood of a person. But then we find that every day that's determined and that's why we pray every day for Parnassah and for other blessings. So which one is it? Is it designated once a year? Or Shoshana going to those days? Or on each day? So, as I said, there are many different explanations. Chassidus' explanation is that both are true. Based on the Ramem Mipanu and Aserah Mamores, Aserah Mamores, he writes, Each one says their opinion. And they're not arguing. And briefly, it's understood as follows. Rosh Hashanah, everyone agrees Rosh Hashanah, we have Rosh Hashanah. No one disagrees Rosh Hashanah is not a, a judgment day that designates these things. And everyone agrees that every day we have So that you have to say that all opinions hold both. The question is, what aspect is being drawn down? Rosh Hashanah designates, firstly, Beruchnius in the language of Chassidus, and that's what you're going to be getting, it's allocated to you for the year. However, it may not yet be tangible and concrete, and also may not come down, we don't know what shape and form it's going to take. Is it going to be a blessing in children? Is it a blessing in livelihood? Is it a blessing in other matters? So each day determines, number one, concretizes it, and number two, defines it into a tziyur, into a real shape and form that it shouldn't just be spiritual, it should be concrete, but it should also have a specific element to it. Which, of course, includes that we could actually, through that, through prayer each day, actually increase even more than what Rosh Hashanah designated because we have that ability to do so. More at length, I discussed it back then. But that's the brief answer, that there's two parts to it. Rosh Hashanah is like, think of it like Rosh Hashanah sends you the package, like the central nervous system in the head. You get everything you need for the entire year. But then you can have a very healthy head, a very central nervous system, but God forbid, a limb may be weak. So it may not go to that limb, it may go to a different limb. The limbs are like the days of the year. So we need both. And Reish is when the Hamshach HaKlol is, the general transmission designated for you is manifest, that new energy, unprecedented energy, and then each day it's limb based on the prayers and based on what we merit and based on different factors, how that will be concretized and, in other words, that the flow from the central nervous system will actually reach each limb in a concrete way and not just remain amorphous or remain undefined and also take on shape and form at Siyur and at Surah. As explained in these Maimodim, as I said, I discussed back then in episode 85. Next question, which literally came in just today after we said Slichas. 
When we say in Slichas, Machnisei Rachamim, Hachnisu Rachamenu, whom are we addressing when we say this, and what are we asking to be done? In more specific, Rabbi Jacobson, in the Slichas service, there's a paragraph beginning with Machnisei Rachamim, Hachnisu Rachamenu, meaning calling to those that draw in compassions, Hachnisu Rachamenu, draw in our compassion to us. Whom are we addressing when we say this, and what are we asking to be done? How is this different from idolatry, in which case someone asks some intermediary, such as the sun or the stars, to help with something? Thank you for any clarification you could provide before Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So, there are people already who have asked this question, and I'll quote some of the sources, and they discuss this. The Maral himself talks about it at length in, uh, in the Siva Salem. Nesiv HaVeda, chapter 12. And therefore, as he says there, he asks the questions the same thing. Why are we, why are we praying to angels? Because that's what Pasha's Machnis Achim is referring to angels. That we, our prayer should be going only to Hashem. The Gemara actually says in Yerushalmi, Brochus, Pedic Tes, Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, if troubles come upon a person, do not entreat the angel Michal, or the angel Gabriel, rather entreat me alone and I will help you immediately. So that just compounds the question, why are we speaking to Machnis Achman, which sounds like we're addressing an intermediary. So the Maral says, Maral answers, that you're not addressing them, you're not beseeching them to ask, you're commanding them, you're saying, you're, you're ordering them, you're telling them, that since you are at the gate, I'm not asking you to ask, I'm asking God, but since you're there, I'm asking you to intervene to make sure that the Rachamim come to me. So it's not a bakoshe, he says, it's a tzivui. It's like a, a command, an order to them. But then he says, because of this issue, he says, it's, Not hachnisu, but yachnisu rachamenu. Because hachnisu sounds like that they're drawing the compassions. So he wants to suggest that they're changing the nusach. Same thing with prayer. Those that listen to our prayers, make sure that the tefillah should be prayed. That not that they do it, but they make sure that it happens, that God does it. And the same thing with tears. That they should be make an effort and pray and request that the tefillah to God should actually be fulfilled. So that's like requesting, you could request anybody to help you in any given area. You're not asking them as some type of intermediary. The Chsam Sefer actually takes out this section from the Slichas. Chsam Sefer is an Erechayim in the Tshuva 166. Kuf Samachvav. I mean, there's more than this topic. There's also a question about Shalom Aleichem. Some also question Shalom Aleichem. Baruchuni L'Sholem. Same question, Baruchuni. Sound like the angels are blessing us. And there are those that say that it's not really an issue because the fact of the matter, we do find that we've asked angels to, um, to, uh, to advocate on our behalf. You find this in Shira Shirim Rabbah 2.7. Shibali Haleka talks about it in 2.82. And then, of course, you have Yaakov Avinu who addressed the angels in prayer with his famous Hamalach HaGoyal Eisi. Hamalach HaGoyal Eisi. He asks his angel to watch over his children. In Shabbos, Yud Beis, Beis 12b, and Shulchan Aruch also, Eid HaChaim, Kufal of the 101.4.
So that addresses this issue, and it's important to know that when we daven, Sheish Mitzvah that Samach Tzaddik makes a whole explanation, that we don't daven to Sfiris. We don't daven to attributes, we daven to God, who works through these attributes. And that's why there was Taka, one who said to the Makubal, he said, from the Shal Shuvah Srivosh, the Samach Tzaddik cites, Ani Tinuk. I pray like the way the Tinuk, a child prays, straight to God, I don't know all these stations. And at the end of the day, we're not praying to any stations, God forbid. We're praying to God, but God transmits it through the channels. In a way, it's connected a little to what we spoke before about the Mezenus, whether it's Rosh Hashanah's Mamshechit or each day, because there too, there's the concept of Tziur, where it gives it shape and form, whether the spheres have Tziur or they don't have Tziur, whether they have shape is all part of this discussion, but that I leave to those episodes that I've already discussed this matter. Okay. We have talked in general about intermediaries davening, going to the oil, or asking the Rebbe to daven, and it all is connected to the sugya, but here the focus was So when we say in, in Phyllis, when we talk about Kaddish, 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 and we mention what the Malochim say, we're invoking, since they are messengers, we want them to do their job to help the flow happen. But not that we're asking them to do it. We're asking God to do it, and they should either advocate upon us, or we ask them to do their job and make sure that the message is delivered properly. Okay. Next. Can we call God a she? In other words, in the feminine. So we might as well ask the same question. Can we call God a he? Remember, God is neither male or female. He's neither defined by any gender, for that matter, or gender in general, or any definition. Love iu mikol inim midis iu klal. Love in iu mikol midis iu klal. God does not have any midis, doesn't have any attributes. Chesidus makes a whole thing about how all definitions all happen in the oir or in the lower levels of oir. You can't create any definition. You can't talk about any definition. No toya, no shape, no form. You're undefined. Even the word undefined. As the, as, the, as the Rebbe Ashab uses the expression, In other words, you can't use any four term, not he, not she. So then why do we use terms that are male and masculine? Because the divine chose to manifest in different forms. Just like we chose to manifest in chesed, which refers to the name Kael, or in din, gvura, is shame elakim, or in Tefer, Hashem Havaya, compassion. Same thing with the seven names, the seven holy, unerasable, unerasable names. So the same thing Hashem manifests in different forms. Just like we speak in Chassidus, an Eir Legalis La'atzmei, an energy that reveals to himself, an energy that reveals, is, is appropriated and allocated for existence. So we say that the human being was created in the divine image. Male and female, he created them. So that's when God shows and manifests a divine energy in Kodesh Baruch Hu, which is usually refers to the masculine dimension. And then there's the Shechina, Vishchinta, it refers to Malchus. Zo and Malchus is he and she. And in Davening Ashabas, when you say, Vayinuchu Ba, Vayinuchu Boy, Vayinuchu Bom, in each of the three prayers, Friday night, Shabbos day, and, and, uh, and Mincha, these three different expressions. One is Vayinuchu Ba, there you say it's referring to Shabbos. But you see the feminine part of Shabbos, you see the masculine, then you see them both together. And that's when you have the union of the Tzalem Elikim, complete male and female. So in truth, he and she are both not appropriate to use, 
But in certain scenarios, we, use, we defer to God in the female, the feminine sense, and sometimes the masculine. Sometimes even when it comes to the chosen kala, usually referred to God as the chosen, the Jewish people of the Tate is the kala, but sometimes the Hashem is referred to as the kala. And other such references. Now, as far as um, the discussion on the matter of, of what exactly is the difference between the he and she, I would refer you to episode 247, where I spoke about the question was why so many prayers refer to God as a he, not as a she. But, uh, but basically, Malchus is the she part, the feminine dimension, feminine energy, and as I said, Kuchabrichu is the masculine. Okay, next question, which is not related. These are questions in order. So I felt I have a little time so I can address and keep covering questions that have been asked over the, year, over the last months. So here's a question which um, goes like this. I'm just saying because it's such a contrast to what I've read till now. Ear piercings. If the reason the Torah forbids tattooing is because one's body belongs to God, why then is ear piercing or other body piercing allowed? Rivka, for example, had a nose ring. Thanks. Okay, it's a topic I don't believe I just spoke about, but I did speak about tattooing, I believe, or in general mutilating oneself in the language of the Radbaz on the Rambam, because it's God's property. You can't touch, you can't pierce, you can't tattoo, you can't make marks, or in any way deface God's, God's property. Which includes, of course, also causing pain to God's property. Self-inflicting pain is not acceptable. It's a prohibition in the Torah. Why? You could say, I don't mind. I'm not inflicting pain on others, I understand. But why do I can't inflict on myself? Because it's not your property. So here the question is, so what about we see, we see Maiserav, Yiddish families, women piercing their ears. And we find the Torah that was the inyah of piercing. So actually there's a letter from the Rebbe on this. How do you like that? Which, which um, avoids having to go search and uh, research it. So in the Mikhtav it says, Sivan Tovshin Membez. That would be Sivan, the month of Sivan, 1982. So the Rebbe says, about recording making a, a piercing the ears for earrings, which is mentioned in the Tanakh, he says, in the Shei Yisrael, as a regular thing. So it's a common, a common activity that women beautified themselves with jewelry. One of them was a pair of earrings. is was also brought in Simen Shin Gimel, 303. So the Rebbe's words are, Betach ha'enig ha'mamushach mikishu tanal. Certainly, the pleasure that is mamusha, that is resulting from that beautification, from that jewelry, is infinitely greater compared to the momentary pain during the moment that you pierce the air, which is just the a, a the moment you pierce. And the Rebbe continues, that's why it's permissible, im, with these two conditions. Bigdela, it's someone that's older. I assume the reason, because there, they, they enjoy, they know why they're doing it, because they're enjoying it. A child may not yet know it. So this, of course, puts question, what about piercing the ears of young children? Some do that. So based on this letter, it says Bigdela. Again, it's not a psak, you should talk to Arov or Mashpia, but I'm reading this letter. And to the Rebbe says, there are those that beautify, those that, that put jewelry, that put on uh, earrings, Without making a, uh, without piercing. It's called clip-ons. 
So the Rebbe says in the parentheses, since it's not that common, and primarily, there's Yitzhakzaz, there's a little pain every time from from squeezing the ear. And then the Rebbe concludes, in all of this, ask a Rav that gives directives, not just a Rav, but someone who's involved in actually giving directives and guidance in these type of matters, in halachic matters. It seems the two, you may ask, what does the Rebbe mean? It seems like he's saying, yes, it's acceptable, even though there is, uh, it's not that common and, it's, and it causes a little pain. It seems like, in other words, that's another possibility. But it seems piercing is even less painful because it's a one-time thing and it's a smaller pain compared to the pleasure that comes out of it. So now the question, of course, is, the question is answered. You're not causing yourself pain. The pain, the joy of it, is you're beautifying God's body. So even though it's God's body and you don't have a right to do anything to it, but here there's, a, there's actually causing joy and God wants you to experience joy. The question is, what about changing the way God gave you the body? That's not really answered here. In other words, we're not talking about pain now, causing pain. Mutilation, any form of mutilation, piercing a hole. But you could say, because piercing the hole brings the joy, then it's not necessarily considered mutilation. Whereas a tattoo or other things may be more, more mutilation. Now, you could say tattoo, what happens if a person has a pleasure from a tattoo? So we don't find the tater people make tattoos. As a matter of fact, the tater asers it. And, uh, but you do find the earrings, so that's why the Rebbe explains it the way he explains it. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. As always, if anybody has any additional material or ideas about this, please pass it on. And I'll share it on the forum here on this program, the future programs. Okay. How can I find... An interesting question. How can I find kosher Jewish poetry to replace poetry coming from other sources? So here's the question. As I said, all kinds of questions. Some may be relevant to some of you, some may not be. But listen, everybody, ain't day is saying Shavos. People have different issues that they're dealing with. So I try to cover the entire spectrum. And here's what the writer writes. A woman friend who is a composer of music and songs that are on the side, that are on the side of Kedusha is working on producing a set of music and songs set to words of Rumi, a, Sof- a Sufi poet. I am close with her, although she lives in Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, and wrote to her the Medrash about how Avram sent away his sons of Keturah to the east because they used their talents and their father's teaching not for purposes of Gdusha. She answered that where is the poetry from Tater sources that will inspire her to compose? No, she's trying to negate that she shouldn't use that type of poetry. So she's asking, where can I find poetry from holy sources? I remember that there are great poets during the golden age of Spain, but I can't remember who they are, and I'm hesitant to Google because I'm not knowing how to find kosher poetry. Could you help me find the translations or maybe some of the work to send to her? She's a leader of thousands of Frum women online and a very dear person to me. She has developed an aversion to rabbis and authority of Torah through being in an abusive marriage and is divorced. I was encouraged that she might be open to listen to me about producing this music and singing it. I need a bibliography to send to her. Okay, so I'll begin the bibliography here in this program, and I hope some people can weigh in. I know many people who listen have, have information and knowledge and are even involved in poetry, music, and art, and so on. 
So please weigh in. I'll just begin. There's no lack of Jewish holy poetry. First of all, we're going into Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Most of the prayers were written by, 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 by Patonim. These were uh, liturg, 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 um, liturgists and writers of poetry written with olive bays and all kinds of different um, ways of rhyme and so on. And this is so much part of the prayers. But we'll begin from the beginning. David HaMelech himself. Noim's Midis Yisrael. The book of Tehillim is a book of poetry. It's just in Hebrew and we don't always understand it. That's why we have good English translations. And there's so much poetry written later that is based on book of Psalms, including the, uh, we have also Shira Shirim. We have Mishlei, Proverbs. We have Kehelas. And even Echa, which is a sad book, Lamentations, is also a form of uh, poetically written. And so many other psukim, Bechlal, the general tater, that have that element of poetry. We have, of course, Oz Yoshir, the Shira, and Pasha Chukas, the Shira that they sung. And many other places you find Shira songs and hymns and poetry written that can be used. Then we, of course, have, going later into the Middle Ages, the great liturgists, as you mentioned. And I'll just mention some that come to terms and some that come to mind that are, that are uh, some of the great ones that have become, their, their, they compose some of the greatest piyutim that we say in the davening, including Eslichus and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and throughout the year. And you have, so we begin with just a few. Elozer Kalir is one of the famous ones. He was the 6th, 7th century. Shmuel Hanagid in the 10th, 11th century. Shlemeh ben Gabiril, 11th century. Yehuda Halevi, of course, 11th, 12th century. Ebenezer, Avram, the Ebenezer, was in 11th, 12th century. And then you have from the Rambam and from the Ramban and Rabbeinu Bechaye. Then you have the Arizal who composed and different Mukabolim. It's not lacking your Friday night service. The Chodedi and other places are, are, have elements of that and really not lacking at all. This is just a short list. There's a lot more, and I see no reason why you can't go there and look there, and you find tre- tremendous, uh, tremendous messages, tremendous ways, that you, uh, turns of phrase, and all that is necessary in this context, the language of poetry and music and song that is so much part of our prayers and our history and our culture and, and uh, tradition. Okay. Next question. I guess this is going into the Yom Tevim, especially Simchas Teda. So here's the question. Should women be drinking L'chaim? Do women have a mitzvah to drink L'chaim on Simchas Teda, on Purim, Adlayada, and other times through the year when we celebrate Simchas, as, as men do? How about another occasion, such as Abris, Shabbos, Kiddush, or Fabrengen? Men seem to find it appropriate to say L'chaim on many occasions, is it likewise appropriate for women to do the same? What criteria would establish a difference between appropriate l'chaim for men and for women? I tried to search archives. I did not find any results. Maybe I don't know how to properly search on this website. Thank you. Okay. So, firstly, this is already addressed in halacha. Because it says, I'm putting chayv inish l'psume. Chayv inish l'psume. That person is chayv, is mechuyiv, uh, has a responsibility. Uh, it's a mitzvah to get drunk. But let's begin in general, men and women. We know that all these drinking just to drink is not a Jewish way. We know none of them were punished for that. 
we know that drinking has to be regulated, there's a certain way. And then, of course, when the Rebbe comes into the picture and the Gzeda the Rebbe made, for men as well, uh, that drinking has to be with moderation. So let's not just give a, a license here that men fine and women not. But as far as women, there's even more restriction because of many reasons, and I'll just quote from a few halachas. Here is Moedim Izmanim, and writes um, that even though women are responsible Purim, in all the mitzvahs of Purim, they're not responsible to, to drink, to get drunk, because it's not the way of women is in intoxication. It's an Isr Chomer, it's an Isr Chomer, that can bring, bring to all kinds of takolas, to all kinds of negative things. A woman is more, more refined than a man, and in many other ways, her modesty, especially regarding drinking, is far more, far more sensitive area. So this doesn't mean, as I just said earlier, that men can do whatever they want. That also has to be done with the, with the moderation. But as far as this is, this is what is paskin by, by poskin. That I just read from Meidim Izmanim, Simen Kuf Tzadik. Also, Shevet HaLevi, Levi Barvazner, Chelik Yud Simen Yud Ches. He writes again, regarding your question about women being responsible for all the mitzvahs, says, L'didi ein shum my opinion, it's not even a question. This is not shayach to a woman, the drinking part. And that's even, he says, even if you say the mitzvah in general, for men too, is shayach in our times. Even if you'd say that. And he brings from a Ksubis Ksubis 65a, talks about the drinking, women drinking wine, abundance, and what came out of it. And Shulchan Aruch Evan Ezer Simen Ayin. Okay, and he says, even when her husband's with her, this also this prohibition. So this is, uh, it brings from the Me'iri, Abundance of wine is not nice for a woman, not elegant for a woman. And there's probably more on this topic, so I just wanted to bring that out. And there's many, many ways, and I would add, based on Chassidus and Primis Atera, if something is, says that a woman shouldn't do, means that doesn't mean she doesn't have the, the qualities that come out of it, it means she could have it without the drinking. Just like when we don't say Tachna Shabbos, the Rebbe explained, because Shabbos accomplishes that which Tachna would accomplish. Just like Shabbos, we don't put on tefillin because Shabbos itself is an us, is a sign. So a woman is all week long, she's mal, a malchus, Shabbos, so she doesn't put on tefillin, she doesn't need it. She has it in an eight, innately. So the same thing here. What is, at the end of the day, it's not the wine, it's not the l'chaim that does it. It's the spiritedness the free spiritedness, the looseness, the, the neshama expressing itself in a healthy and kosher way. And a woman is able to achieve that without drinking. That's what you have to say at the end of the day. When the Rebbe made the exam, you have to say men can also achieve it without extra drinking, only small, four small cups, and so on. Something we talked about other times. Okay. Let's now go to um, some follow-up. Actually, one follow-up I'm going to do. And that is about publishing pictures of women, which was uh, two weeks ago, the episode 276, and I think I followed up also in 277. Yeah. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for reading my questions, which I submitted several months ago regarding publishing pictures of women. Yes, standards are important, but you did not address the second part of the question, which is how do we educate our children regarding this issue, especially young girls? How do I tell my seven-year-old daughter that your friend's mother can't be featured in a Frum magazine. 
Also, there's a real concern that if girls cannot view pictures of from female role models, they will only encounter pictures of females in secular media, media, and we don't want our girls to emulate them. I like what you said, that if the pictures are to evoke Yerushamayim, then they should be encouraged. I think we should publicize this standard, as it is completely unfair that women who work so hard to dress with tznius, remember tznius is the noun, tznua, tznua is the adjective, should be banished from view from, from, from a forum from, from view for a from family audience. I think we also need to remember that is the men's prohibition to gaze at a woman in an inappropriate manner. If we ban all women from photos and media, it gives the impression that either all from women are distasteful or all from men will by default gaze inappropriately at a tsunua woman, a modest woman. Neither of those is true, so what is the point lowering the standards of our expectations? It seems taking that approach makes dressing with sneers completely pointless. Thanks again. So I don't have much to add. I will just comment on what you've said. Number one is, there are many communities and there are many different publications that are talking about is not going to change their mind, even though they should maybe review it and how to do it properly. Secondly, the issue is not just magazines and pictures. There's a focus on sneers in general with a very harsh approach, also as a turnoff for many young girls and women. So it's not just whether there's a picture in a magazine or not. And there's a chesidish approach to tznius, which we've talked about a number of times in this program. You can look it up. I don't have here the episodes, but it's easy to find by searching. A chesidish approach of what it means to be a dignified person. So I think the issue you're describing is, is, goes far beyond the magazines. It's a general attitude to women and how we look at women and how we, uh, we, how we talk about tznius and we talk about provocation instead of talking about dignity. So I think the way to talk to a seven-year-old is all-inclusive about all of it. That God created you in the divine image. You have a particular beauty as a divine creature. Women have have a particular level of beauty. As we've talked about in the past, Chassidus talks about Malchus having a particular yefi. That's why we have qualities like Yifasteya, Yifasmada, the beauty of our Imois, our matriarchs. It's a positive. I've talked about the Rebbe Dalar speaking to the former beauty queen of Israel. And Shekra Chen Vehevla Yefi doesn't mean that Rebbe says that Chen and Yefi are not valuable. Because we see Yefaste, Yefasmada. It means if there's nothing else, it's only external superficial beauty. Then it's Hevel and uh, Shekhar, Shekhar and Hevel. However, if it's filled with the, beauty, with the, the pure soulness, soulfulness and the Neshama of it, then yes, then, then it goes along with it. So that has to be taught to everyone from the youngest of age, not to see beauty or to see in general um, the sexuality and intimacy as an ugly, dirty thing. There are things that will be done in private because of their holiness, like the Holy of Holies, but it's because of Holy of Holies, not because it's ugly or distasteful or because we can't look at it or it's going to provoke. There is elements of provo- provocative, but if it's only focused on that, you're always going to have problems. So I can't, as I said, going to create a policy now for all magazines and newspapers and so on. Number one, everyone has their own authorities, whether they're saying the right thing or not, but that's what they listen to. Number two, as I said before, Tznias and these matters should be determined in each community according to its standards. Regardless of what standards there are and how they address this and view this, everybody should lift Tznias into a positive area, not being something of fear and provocation and how ugly we are or how promiscuous and how low people can fall. But like anything, the difference in Chassidus and Musa, instead of talking about how low human beings are, talk about how great we can become, how great God is, God lose our That doesn't mean we ignore uh, the more darker side, but it's never the main focus, because then what you do is you create the neurosis and you create the guilt and you create more problems. 
always the focus on the positive. Look how beautiful you are. That beauty should be reserved and preserved for the right place, for the right time, and so on. Look how powerful certain energies are. And when you do it that way, first of all, you uplift a person, and secondly, you give them a much more healthy approach to all these matters. As far as role models, look, if you have control over magazines and newspapers that are publishing, if it's done the proper way, we spoke about this, then yes, it could be a good role, especially if it's magazines or newspapers for women, women for women, then absolutely. And uh, just like we find in schools or in plays or in different place presentations, girls' camps and girls' schools, you have them, there's music and there's song and there's art and there's images and so on. Because there, obviously, there's no men around and, and there's no question there should be healthy role modeling, feminine and female role models. Okay. this question. We have two this questions, both related to this period in time. One is... Creation, is it in Tishrei or in Nisan? So we have a Machlekes in Gemara. Rabbi Yeshua and Abba Lazar. Which technically means that the 25th of El was the world created and then Rosh Hashanah, the sixth day of Adam and Eve, as I mentioned before. Or is it Chafei Oder? And then the sixth day would be Rosh Chedesh Nisan, would be the equivalent of the creation. So that's a machlekes. So Svarim go and talk about this, and they say that there is actually no machlekes. They both are talking about two different dimensions of creation. So, the, so there's a quote from the Rebbe, which the Rebbe brings from the Kisve Arizal. You know what, let's start the other way around. The Teisvis. Teisvis in Rosh Hashanah Daf I think, says that machshava, the world was created, but machshava was created in, um, Tishrei. That in other words, God's thought of creation began in Tishrei. And the actual lapel was in this. That's what it says in Tesfus. I'm just checking for the, for the actual daf. Yeah, I believe it's what I said. Okay. Now here's the thing. There's in Kabbalah, in Kisve Arizal, in Shara Kavonis, to be exact place, in Yen Rosh Hashanah, the first Darush, he also talks about it and asks the question that it seems a machlekes and Is it here or then? Which one was it? How could they argue about it? And the Rav Chaim Vital writes, I'm just quoting from him, he says, he gives a Kabbalah answer, and then he says, the difference is primis elements and chitzenis elements. But then he asked something strange, Loshan. He says, I did not receive, I didn't hear from my teacher, meaning from the Rizal, which is Chetzenius and which is Primius. But then the commentaries on the Shara Kavona, Shem and Sosen, and Nar Sholem, all talk about this, and they say from other places, from the way the Gemara brings proof, Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Yeshua, it's, uh, it becomes obvious that Chetzeni Salem is the outer dimension of existence was created on Shoshana. And the inner dimension was created on, in Nisan. Which of course seems to contradict what it says in Tesfus. Because Tesfus says Machshava was created, which seems like Primius on uh, Tishrei, and Chetzeni and Impoil Mamesh, Maesubipoil, was Nisan, which seems like Chetzeni. So this is a whole issue 
that the Rebbe first addressed in Lekut Esich is Chelik Dalad, fourth volume, page 1293. And he brought the Darizal, and then he said that according to the commentaries, that is a, it's Allah, he says these words, Allah Bekona Echad means it's the same vein as the Tespis. And that's how it was printed for years. In Tovshin Lamad Vov, Parshabas Parsha Shmini, which was either Mavarchim Nisan or Ashkedish Nisan, the Rebbe spoke about this topic and addressed it. And the preparing the Hanochi, the Manichim, the ones that wrote, the, the, asked the Rebbe a question that, what do you mean, Eilab Konachas? The Mephorshim of the Arizal seem to contradict what it says in Tesis. And the Rebbe wrote on the note, I've been waiting, I think it said there, 13, 14 years for someone to ask this question. And the Rebbe explained, yes, it's true, that the Tesis technically has, is different, but there's elements in Tesis that are similar to the Arizal. And that is, at the, first of all, there's two creations. The question is, which one comes first? Do you start by speaking from Tishrei? And then, like the Tesfri says, Tishrei would be Machshove, and then Nisan would be um, an action. Or, if you start counting from Nisan, so Nisan would be Primius, and Tishrei is Chitzenius. So this is printed in the Hanochis, you can look it up, how the Rebbe reconciles to some extent. In other words, there's a similarity to Tesfri, that there's two creations, the question is only what order. And the Rebbe wrote this all up in a note to explain it all. Okay. And brings also from other places that sometimes we count, we start counting from Nissen. And then Primius would come first because you always say that, that um, yeah, okay. So bottom line is we have two, two elements in creation. And it seems like in most places, the way to approach it is that, that Nisan is the primius of the worlds is created, and Tishrei is the chitzenius of the worlds. Which, of course, there the Rebbe spoke about the quality of primius, because primius brings in the deeper kavona, the simcha, and so on. But regarding El and Tishrei, where we are now, is that actual existence. When do we say the year begins? Nisan, we say, he was like the, like the Mishnah, the Medrash says, Mishabachar be, be Yisrael, be Teirem, be Yisrael, that's when you have the Rishchidosh Geula, which is Chedosh Nisan, it's Geula. But Meshabachim, the Ebishter chose the world, he ch- that's when he created Tishrei, which is the creation of the world, like it says in other places from the Akedah, that Tishrei is the Rosh Hashanah of Seder HaTeva, of nature, the Chetzenius of the worlds. And Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah of Seder of Nisim, like Nisan, the month of Nisan, miracles, which is the premius of the worlds. So we have a reconciliation between these two, and I've spoken about it briefly in episodes 205 and 255. A second question, Echsidus, is from, the, from uh, Chitas from just a few days ago, two days ago. So the Chitas was, Shnas Ibar was the end, was the end of Geras HaKedosh Tezayin. So there he says, they, the, the Holy Geras there is dedicated to those that even though they may not have that much money, but he hears that Alter Rebbe hears they're not giving tzedakah. And he speaks about the great quality of giving tzedakah. Even when you yourself may not be completely living in luxury, but at least you have more than, than what the, the, uh, the Oni that deserves the tzedakah. And one of the things that Rebbe, Alter Rebbe brings among the different virtues of tzedakah, at the end there, he brings the Pasuk in Mishle, Yutes Zion, 1917. What does it say? Malvi Hashem Chenendal, Ugmulei Yishalom Lei. What does that mean? 
A person who's chen and dal, who's kind and gives to a pauper, it becomes malvei Hashem. He becomes like a he becomes like a someone who's lent money to Hashem, and Hashem becomes now indebted to you as a leiva. Someone who's indebted to, owes you a debt. And then it says, and he will repay you with uh, with uh, he will repay you your reward. And the Alter Rebbe asks, multifold reward. And that's, uh, where is this from? The Gemara in Baba Basa, Dafyud Sofa Maralov, talks about this topic. It actually goes even stronger and says that if it wasn't for this Pasuk, Kavyochel, who could say such a thing on God, that God's a lever? That God becomes indebted to us? And we know that a lever, the other Pasuk in Mishle, is indebted, he's Meshubit. He's bound to the Malvi. He's like, in a sense, he's indebted to him and he's bound to him. He's, like, uh, he's dependent on him. And then there's the Zoyar, Dafresh Nun Hei Omer Aleph, I believe, Seir Tump Kudei, yeah, 255a, where he brings the word Bekeflaim. So that's where the Alter Rebbe takes that idea from. And that's what he's talking about, the Mile of Zoka. That we leave Maminim Bnei Maminim, we believe completely that God is our, becomes our Alevitas. Imagine what kind of statement that is. There's a Rebbe in Chelik Tes and Lukut Tesiches, and the Esophis talks about. Hashem, that's marvelous. Sometimes it says, Doc is like a pekodin, that God entrusts a wealthy person, he gives him money, and in a way God is giving him a loan. There it doesn't say the word loan, pekodin, he gives it to him, that he should be wise enough to share it with others. So the Rebbe says there's different levels of stock. Sometimes also stock is referred to as a gift. But here the question is, so the questioner is asking, okay, since charity is considered a loan to God, and, 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 and isn't God's manifold repayment a form of ribus, interest? If God is the one that's indebted, so a leva is not allowed to repay interest. And, and not, not the mal is not allowed to take interest. And the leva is not allowed to give interest. It's forbidden. So that's the question that he's asking. So the obvious answer when you think about it is that the money didn't go to Hashem. The money went to the pauper. Hashem is saying, I'm taking upon myself that if you give it to him, I will be indebted to you. And it doesn't say it was on condition that I'll give it to you on condition. God, the man, the person giving his doctor says, I'll give it on condition that God will give me the ribas. Or God is saying, I'm going to pay you ribas. I'm going to pay you interest. I want to do it. It's like, a, like, it's like a, you, you do the doctor, I'll give you a gift. I'll give you more than you gave. So technically, you could argue that's not really ribas. And especially if you know the halacha, the halacha says that if a Tamat Chachem wants to repay somebody, He's allowed to. Again, we're not talking about on condition. Why? Because he knows the boundaries of what ribas is, what is not. It's an halach. The Rambam brings it. So taking all that into account, it wouldn't apply over here. But in addition to that, I actually looked it up and I found in Sfarim, talk about this. Obviously it's not on Tanya, it's on the Posuk. So there's a Sefer Nachlis Binyamin from Rayitzchik Binyamin Zev from uh, Milansburg. And it's cited in the Deres Yahu on the Posik in the A, Kiyebchaevian of the Ben Ishchai. He cites it. And he talks exactly about this and he talks in different ways. First of all, he says that maybe it's not Kipshute, the Posik Malve Hashem is not talking about God is actually. God is saying, just as a Malve, a Loiva, Someone's in debt is going to, is, has to repay you. I'm guaranteeing you that you'll be repaid. So it's also like a muscle. 
not actually saying that Abish has the din of halacha of a someone who owes a debt. But then he says that's not a, a perfect interpretation because that means it's not you're not translating the pasuk literally. You could also say Rashi and other commentaries interpret it differently, maybe because of this problem. So he goes on to bring halacha about it, and he says that that's why it says in the pasuk, the pasuk in Mishpatim. It says that there was an evian. You should give him charity and you should not take libis. And he explains that's why. Because the Ebersh is saying, I will be the one that gives you. And that's a shliach. And a shliach is not chayiv in the problem. If a shliach wants to give you libis, he can. That's what he brings there from Allah. He also brings the din of the Talmud Chacham. It needs a little more eon, but I'm just citing. This is from Nachos bin Yaman. And um, he also adds, adds another point. He could l'cheda answer. God gives us everything. We're not talking about God is able to give everything. He owns everything. So it's not like you are in any way, if he decides he wants to give, he's giving of his own provision. Everything, even the tzedakah we give, is God giving us the ability to give that tzedakah. It says, I'm quoting straight from Nachos bin Yaman. So since the Ebersh owns it all, there's no question at all together about this subject matter. Because the whole thing of ribis is, is, is you don't want to suck out money from someone that is, needs it. So a person who needed a loan, the mitzvah is you're not supposed to get, take ribis. You give him the loan, let him repay the loan, and that's it. But the Ebershah doesn't have that issue. And especially that he's doing it at his own rutzen, he's not doing it as a conditioned part of it. So I think when you include all this together, you have a pretty solid answer. One more place I found it discussed is a sefer called Be'er Yitzchok from Rabbi Yitzchok Mitarchin. So he takes a similar approach. Um, he brings you Mesha. I'm not sure what it says there. He says, like Ribis, so he says, so he says, this is like a bezin, that if you make a condition that you have to pay it in a certain way, it's not considered Ribis. That's what he brings there. So he says clearly, It's not due to responsibility, like I mentioned earlier. It's due because that's what he wants to do. So from the point of view of the giver of charity, he's giving, he has a certain confidence he can trust because God is going to repay him. But from the point of view of Hashem, it's from God, it's not an element of ribis, it's an element of chesed. This is on Pasha Mishpotim from Be'er Yitzchok. Okay, interesting topic. Let us now move on to the final three, uh, the three essays of this week. This is all from the Essay Contest 2019. Three essays, one in English, two in Hebrew. The first one is Plagued by Indecision, How to Make the Right Choices. Leah Goldman, age 21, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Good. So Oklahoma City, contributing chassidus. For many decisions are hard to make. People shy away from making decisions, asking others to pitch in, and choose for them. They leave it to fate. They don't make changes because it's too difficult to decide which way to go. They overthink the options repetitively. Is this right or wrong, good or bad? Anxiety and stress result, and the options are thought over so many times that people wind up getting stuck in a cycle of missed opportunities and unproductivity and stagnation. This essay is based on the premise that the Torah is a blueprint for life and, that by, and by fulfilling its directives, one lives their best life. The question is, how to know what is right or wrong when it comes to everyday choices? 
and goes on to say, Chassidus defines the very core of a person's makeup and a step-by-step way, three steps, differentiate between the godly and the animal voices inside oneself. Determine, number two, determine one's strengths and immediate opportunities. Number three, seek the guidance of a mentor. And using these three steps with nice anecdotes and stories really develops a whole tools of how to deal with indecision, how to make decisions in life. Very well done. Thank you for that. And this essay is posted as we speak at chassidusapplied.com. You look at the essays, you'll see the latest essays posted. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which is interesting material every week, refreshing, stimulating, provocative, and we'll also send you notifications of all these essays as they're posted. That's essay one. The next essay, Eich loy litchis lemocher three madregas. How not to procrastinate and push off to tomorrow? Three steps. Dani Fivish, age 19, Nairia, Israel, a student, seminar based Chanetzvat. Okay. Why do it now when you can push it off to tomorrow? Says that inner voice inside of us. The minutes move on, the days and months pass, and we feel like we have time, all the time in the world. What's the big thing if you push it off? And then you end up being someone that procrastinates or someone that's just lazy and then talks about but time is valuable and everything you push off is a tremendous loss. So this goes on to talk about how can you do that, three steps of how you, to avoid procrastination and delaying and pushing things off. It's a good analysis, a psychological analysis, first of all in secular psychology and then the Taylor psychology of what we can do to fight that tendency. Appreciating the gift of life and the gift of time, the quality of life, understanding the value of each second, the passion and desire to commit to things, and fundamental self-confidence and security, knowing the importance of what you need to accomplish in this world. Again, another excellent essay which goes into detail, very well done, and it's a topic we all can use direction and guidance on, advice. And finally, essay number three, There's nothing as, as consistent as change. Brocher Reutenberg, age 19, Chadera, Israel, student in seminar based Chanetzvat. Same seminar. Okay. I think they print, actually published the essays in a book and gave and honored that in, in, the, in that uh, seminary. Okay. So, begins by talking exactly on this topic, about different changes in our lives, the things we are lacking and we feel we're lacking, and goes on to explain the importance of change, and when you embrace it and you navigate it, you actually can reach tremendous heights. So it's not about finding it, it's about really navigating and understanding the importance of change and how change can bring to growth and at the same time, finding those consistent foundations that keep you balanced. So you have to have both those solid things and the things that are ever-growing and ever-flexible and change. Another excellent essay, thank you for that. These again are top essays. And all the essays were really good essays, but these were still dealing with the top 60, 70 essays. And I thank you for writing them and for me publicizing them 
the availability to everybody, us publicizing them for all of you and benefit in every possible way. And it's a great honor to be able to publish them on our site and uh, they get exposure. And again, anyone has comments on this or other topics we speak about or questions that have not been addressed, feel free to go to our completely anonymous forum at meaning at uh, Let me wish you now, there will not be a program next Sunday night because of Rosh Hashanah. The next one will be a Yom Kippur, especially Yom Kippur edition in two Sundays from now. So let me wish you all be blessed in every possible way, in the general categories of health, life, children, those that need to find Shaduchim, to find Shaduchim in a, the least amount of aggravation, and all with abundance. A livelihood, successful Parnosa, and we should be finally, some say it's Shnas Pedus, Shnas Pediyeb, Shnas Pedus, the year of redemption of Geula, even before Rosh Hashanah comes. And I will see you in the next new year. It's been an honor through this year and through previous years doing this program. I feel refreshed, and we will also bring a Er Chodesh, a new energy, unprecedented energy into my life, Chesidus Applied. And together, as partners, let us spread Chesidus, teach Chesidus, learn Chesidus, teach Chesidus, spread Chesidus, and finally fulfill Mashiach's words to the Baal Shem Tev, I will come when your wellsprings will spread outward. Everyone have a very good Gebenster Yor. Thank you.